Support for the Most Accurate Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. They're the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TMAP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code TMAP. another episode of 444 is the most accurate podcast uh, my name is john paulson this is another bonus episode uh for you before before we get to our guests i just want to introduce the music that was uh the beastie boys with i don't know off of uh hello nasty uh, i'm not sure what year that came out 1998 i think so i might have had that on the pod before uh but my family and i are watching the beastie boys uh, uh documentary on apple tv and it's excellent my kids getting into them uh, the language is a little salty, um, but if you can if you can get by that, then uh, it's it's really excellent. So uh, check it out. Um, today's uh, guest, I'm excited. This is the third time he's been on. We 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 talk every August. It's like a it's like a date we have penciled in every August, which uh, to talk wide receivers. It's Matt Harmon from Yahoo Fantasy. He's the creator of uh, Reception Perception. Uh, I'll get into a little bit how I use his data, but uh, uh, Matt, thanks for coming on. John, thanks so much for having me. This is one of my uh, annual podcasts that I most look forward to. Uh, I love the way that you've kind of taken reception perception and, and created uh, your own way of using it because I think that's the most one of the most fun parts about putting out reception perception for me is seeing how other people you know apply it because I don't do you know what you do is like an overall grade or whatever. Um, I think you kind of you get to see like okay, what do people value most from this data or what do people uh, what kind of conclusions do they draw? Because I think that's just – it's the fun part about putting out metrics is then people get to digest it and then decide like, all right, how do I want to apply it? How do I want to – how do I want to use this as a tool? Uh, so I always really enjoy stopping by this podcast. Oh, great. Well, it's great to have you. Uh, this is the third time. I think we've done two straight years now. We skipped uh, 2017. I wonder what happened that year. Maybe <laughs> – said something mean about me on Twitter. I don't know. Well, it's always possible. You know, I'm me, I'm a very uh, confrontational, <laughs> very mean confrontational. Guy. Um, do you want to give us a, a listeners a little bit of a, an overview on what the reception perception process is for you? Yeah. So for anyone that's not familiar, reception perception is the wide receiver methodology that I developed over six years ago now. And I've charted the last six seasons worth of NFL data. Essentially what I'm trying to do is isolate wide receiver play from every other variable because I think you know John you know this I think most of the listeners know this wide receiver production is one of the positions that's most dependent on outside factors in order to to stuff that stat sheet I mean not only like everybody knows you gotta you gotta get an accurate pass from the quarterback to you know to have a good chance of catching the ball or, or whatever but there's just so much more beyond that like not only do you have the variable the quarterback you have the variable of the system you have the variable of 
okay, which where does this guy fall in the read for this particular play? Is the offensive line going to give a quarterback enough time to find a vertical receiver down the field? So all those things come together to, to produce wide receiver stats. But the one thing that I think a wide receiver can really control is whether he goes out there, runs a good route, and gets open to present a reasonable target for the quarterback. So that's what reception perception is. I go in over an eight-game sample for NFL players and chart every single route that they run, how often they get open on each route, how often they run each type of route, against what coverages they are most successful, man, zone, press. And really, it's just trying to, like I said, isolate the wide receiver from the outside variables and better evaluate these players as individuals because I think they don't really get a chance to do that in the general public or through any sort of traditional statistic. That's a great breakdown. Um, I look forward to your data and your charting every year to see if I can separate some of the pretenders from the contenders as far as the breakout potential, these receivers. I mean, I think we know which receivers are good and the ones that have already proven themselves as, as being productive. But every year we have this crop of, of younger, usually receivers that, um, are uh, up and coming and they're bound to see a bigger role. And I always like to use your data to see if they can handle that bigger role. And uh, basically what I do is uh, I download it and which is totally, you know, above board. No, no, no. <laughs> There's <laughs> oh, a download button. <laughs> there's a download button for it. Um, but uh, I weight it based on the number of routes they run uh, versus man versus zone uh, and the different types of routes that they run, uh, you know, weighted. Uh, by number of how many routes they run, you know, how many screens they run or uh, digs or whatever. And I come up with one number and it's uh, not something that uh, Matt really, you know, wants people doing necessarily, but he hasn't, he still <laughs> comes on the pod. So I guess it's okay. Uh, but I, I like to see where guys fall. And if there are some interesting names in the top 10 or the top 15 or the top 20, I found that uh, it's a pretty good indicator uh, that they have a good chance of breaking out. And just to mention a few success stories here, uh, you know, Tyree Kill uh, 2017 was a pretty divisive uh, prospect. I think he finished, uh, I don't know, I think 23rd the year before. He ended up breaking out in yeah. ninth, and that, that came on the heels of him um, in uh, 2016, uh, was number two as far as my one-number rankings, which I'll just call them the one-number rankings. Uh, so I, when I had uh, Matt on the pod there, we talked a lot about Terry Kill, and he ended up breaking out. Uh, Tyler Lockett, I think, was predicted for a breakout a number of, of oh, yeah. seasons we waited for him, but it did come, uh, when the, especially when the volume came. It got even uh, better last year. Uh, but he was 12th uh, 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 in one-number rankings, and then he, he broke out in 2018. He finished 16th uh, overall that year after finishing uh, 58th the year before. And then last year, uh, I would call it a success story, even though he had some injuries. Calvin Ridley, he was sixth in the, the one-number rankings. Uh, we talked about him on the pod last year. Uh, his, his points per game jumped from 27th to 19th. Um, and there are some other guys last year, Chris Godwin, which I think a lot of people thought would break out, but he was obviously awesome. Uh, Christian Kirk, John Brown were, were reception perception uh, favorites. They also, also saw production spikes. And then on the other end of it um, – you know, Kenny Britt, uh, Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We, those guys showed up, showed very poorly in terms of, uh, you know, where they finished in my one number rankings, where they finished in your uh, reception perception charting. 
And, you know, maybe they had a good season the year before, but that didn't carry over to the next season. And, you know, I, I, I get a little bit leery when we get down to the bottom of these uh, rankings and we see who's down there. Uh, you know, maybe they're not going to continue to produce the way they have. I mean, they're, they're in they're in the, the sample because they were ranked at the top in the top 50 at fantasy footballers. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Yes. So, uh, like Geronimo Allison uh, in 2018, he, uh, oh, yeah. his, his route running was, didn't fare well in your charting and he, uh, you know, failed to live up to expectations there as well. So I use basically, to, I use Matt's data to try to figure out which of these unproven receivers are going to be good. And I, I found it to be very useful. So I love having Matt on the pod to talk about it. So let's, let's start with, well, let me just, okay. if I could just also peel back like a little bit here too, sure. because I think what's really cool for me like I mentioned, seeing the way you use it, I think is really interesting. Because yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys, like you put the one number to it. I think these are guys that I'm obviously intrinsically high on because the data is good, whether there's like one number or not. But I think the cool part for me is that I've spent so much time with reception perception now. Like I said, six seasons worth of data that like I think the predictions are becoming better and better. You know, I think that. I'm understanding more and more what reception perception is telling us versus what's what it's not telling us. Like there are certainly guys that, you know, might be towards the bottom. I think we're going to talk about this too, you know, towards the bottom of like success rate versus man. That doesn't mean that they're automatically bad, but that might've been something that three years ago before I understood the data as I do now, um, you know, th th those might've been poor predictions that I would have made based off reception perception. So I think that's one of the really cool things is like, Seeing it's just what what is going to happen. The more that you have, um, the, the more data that you have, the larger the sample size, the better your ability to interpret and then make predictions off that data. So, I think that's the one thing that's really cool now. And, and like just to put a hammer to this point for like predicting breakouts and everything like that. Um, something that I, one thing that I studied this off season was just okay. Like what what's the threshold that we're looking at in terms of reception perception to start predicting breakout players. Um, what I found was over the 250 player seasons that I've sampled over the last six years, there have been 31 individual wide receivers to clear the 80th percentile in reception perception success rate versus man coverage. And only nine of those have yet to record a 1000 yard season. If you remove the rookies from last year, which I think is a pretty fair thing to do, those players are... If you remove the rookies, the only ones left are Calvin Ridley, Curtis Samuel, Sterling Shepard, Anthony Miller, and Willie Sneed. I would say that of those guys, the only one that's like not a virtual lock to go over a thousand yards this year. Well, excuse me, they're like two that like none of these guys are locks, but like the only one that's absolutely not going to happen is Willie Sneed. Right. I think all of these other guys like have a pretty good shot at it. You could write off reasons why they have it with Ridley. I think it's injuries with Samuel. I think his quarterback play last year. Shepard also injuries last year. Miller, a mix of injuries to start his year, uh, to start his career. So I think that it's just, it's becoming a very, if you, you clear that 80th percentile, your odds of becoming, you know, a thousand yard receiver, a breakout player are very, very good. Excellent. And that's what we want. We want breakouts. We want to know who to draft in the seventh, eighth, ninth round and, and have them finish in the top 20. That's the goal of this whole, the whole exercise that we're doing. Um, all right. So let's talk about somebody that we know is already good. And I, I wanted to talk about him today because he went from being sort of a mediocre, you know, as far as the ranking is concerned, to second uh, in 2019. That's Allen Robinson. What do you think changed for him? Well, I think that with Allen Robinson, you know, he's a longtime reception perception favorite. When we're talking about predicting breakouts, the very first reception perception breakout prediction was Allen Robinson heading into that 2004. 
2015 season. You know, his rookie year, despite the fact he didn't pop from a production standpoint, he actually uh, finished the year injured too. His reception perception profile was awesome as a rookie. Uh, it was one of the best rookie seasons I've, I've collected. And so, you know, that's one of the first ever, like most people that follow reception for perception for the long haul know that Allen Robinson is a, is a favorite. And in 2015, he had the type of dominant season that I think in your one number rankings would have put him near the top of the list. But I think what we've seen now is that now that Robinson has come out on the other end of that ACL injury and all of the compounding injuries that I think he suffered in 2018, like his 2018 numbers weren't bad, you know, like you said, pretty mediocre, but definitely not his best, but showed enough signals that like, okay, he's coming back to at least be a solid receiver. But we know based on the past reception perception data that this guy has star potential. And that was exactly what we saw last year. In, in my opinion, in reception perception, he was elite. He was the number one performer in success rate versus man coverage in 2019, finishing at the 98th percentile, 97th percentile in success rate versus press. I think he has every tool in the toolbox and now, and he puts up a pretty solid statistical season with awful quarterback play. That's why I'm really in on him in fantasy this year. Cause I think we've already seen the floor. And if Nick Foles accesses any sort of unknown ceiling, then we're really flying. Yeah. And you're looking at Nick Foles as a, a guy who doesn't run. So Trubisky ran a little bit. So probably more pass attempts and probably more accurate passes and that's why we're still bullish on Robinson, even though his price tag is now third, fourth round instead of whatever sixth, seventh round we were able to get him last year. Um, yeah, and I didn't. And have- I, I think either even I'm not locking in that Foles is going to start like at least start the season because of the weird nature of right. this off season. But again, I don't think it matters that much for the floor because we've already seen that. Um, and I would say that, yeah, it's just like, now you're getting the benefit of that unknown ceiling. Even, even if, again, we might never see Nick Foles to this point. And I may have to ask you for that 2015 data. Cause I didn't have that. I just started with uh, 2016 and he was like 36th, uh, in the one number ranking. So that's why I asked about him. Cause he jumped all the way up to second and, uh, was a little bit out of what he had been doing for the last three years. And, uh, and I think you're right about the ACL, being completely behind him and, and now he's back to being you know his career is back on track i think basically um, yeah that's really that's really the way i look at it is that i think he had like the outlier years were were those like 2016 was admittedly a down year for him um and then obviously 2018 he's coming back from the injury but yeah back again in in 2015 he finishes 73.6 percent success rate versus man coverage 78.9 percent against press those are really strong numbers again over that 80th percentile that we're looking at for really strong excellent players all right so you know other than robinson in the top 10 uh, it's it's littered with the usual suspects michael thomas Devontae adams tyler lockett uh keenan allen tyree kill uh stefan diggs uh deandre hopkins calvin ridley chris godwin and then coming in at 11 was like when i see this i always get excited uh because i'm just waiting for this conversation with you about deontay johnson uh, he he came in at eleven for me or with the one uh, the one number rankings, and I've sort of flip flopped on him this off season. You know, I I, I saw James Washington outscored him nine out of fifteen games last year where they both played had a higher yards per route run, uh, but then I saw that Deontay Johnson had a, a core muscle hernia type injury throughout most of the season, and maybe that was hindering him a little bit. What did you see when you charted Johnson? 
Yeah, I think Johnson is an awesome route runner. Like right away, looked the part in terms of that outside outside separator there. Finished at the 88th percentile success rate versus man coverage, 81st against press. I, I think he, I'm pretty sure he, yeah, he cleared it. The NFL average on all routes except the corner and the out. Like, again, being able to separate at all levels is really impressive, especially when you do that as a rookie. I think quarterback play was a real problem for Johnson last year, especially because, well, I mean, and that's not saying, that's not surprising to anybody. Mason Rudolph and uh, Duck Hodges, Duck these Hodges, guys, yeah. these guys can't play. But <laughs> I think especially for a receiver like Deontay Johnson, you know, one of these, like a crafty route runner that relies a lot on timing those guys really suffer, I think, when you look at when you look at receivers that end up playing with bad quarterbacks. Though that type of pass catcher really needs that good, disciplined quarterback. I always uh, come back to Michael Crabtree when he was leaving the San Francisco 49ers at kind of the, the point when Colin Kaepernick started to decline. Uh, and then he went to Oakland and actually had a little bit of a bounce back. That's another reception perception prediction like back in the day that I was really proud of because you know, the data would show like this guy's still a good route runner. He still separates. He's, he's still got that craft to his game. He just needs to play with a, a quarterback who's more timing based. He goes to Oakland, Derek Carr, I think fits into that mold. He ends up having that type of season. So that's why Johnson, I think when he gets with a quarterback that understands just how to play the position, I think he's going to be it's such a huge win for him. And I think the Steelers offense too really needs this type of player because I like Juju. I think he's awesome at what he does, but I don't think you can necessarily run a healthy passing offense through that type of player. Think about, I compare Juju to like a Jarvis Landry type of guy. I think he's like a souped up version of that. Landry has been the focal point of some passing games before in Miami, maybe even Cleveland last year while Beckham was struggling, but those haven't been healthy passing games. And, And last year as the focal point, you can write off a lot due to injuries and quarterback play. But, you know, I think that you can, you look at the Steelers and I think they need a player like Johnson to emerge. And I think Washington is a good player too. And they just have a really nice trio there. Yeah. Normally we like continuity at quarterback, but I think we're fine with the quarterback change in Pittsburgh. Yeah. This year, this year. <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> uh, and also with the Steelers they're they've been so good at finding receivers in the draft that when, you know, when somebody like Johnson shows up in reception perception as this high up in, in terms of his route running, uh, also with their track record of receivers, also with the change to uh, back to hopefully a helpful, healthy uh, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, it had, does have breakout written all over it. And he's available eighth, ninth round in a lot of drafts. Receivers so deep that he's not going that early, I think, in a normal year when maybe there wasn't so much depth. He might be going in the sixth or seventh round because he's got this this breakout uh, profile to him. Um Anthony Miller uh, is the next guy I'd like to talk about. We actually talked about him last year. He um, was in top, back-to-back top 13 uh, in these rankings. Um, he had a really good run uh, when Taylor Gabriel was out, and it's really sad that we have to like look at you know no Tabor, Taylor Gabriel splits for a player like Miller, who's just, <laughs> such a good uh, route runner. But he averaged yeah. 4.1 catches, 53 yards, 0.29. Uh, touchdowns on 6.4 targets uh, in the seven games that Gabriel missed. He only averaged 32 yards receiving 4.4 targets when Gabriel was active. Now Gabriel's gone. They replaced him with uh, Ted Ginn, who I think is, they're, they're trying to use him maybe in the same way. I don't know if they'll use him as much. Um, but Miller did have a stretch of five games where he caught 33 passes, 431 yards, two touchdowns. Um, what do you th- What do you expect from Miller this year? I feel like you and I have been waiting on Miller for a long time. <laughs> this might time. be the new Lockett, huh? 
Yeah, right. But I think actually that makes a lot of sense too, from from a couple of different different angles. Like, like I said, Miller has struggled with injuries, and I think it's worth noting that like the shoulder injury that he has seems to you know be a repetitive issue. So do keep that in mind. I almost just think it doesn't matter because Miller in fantasy this year is so so cheap, mm-hmm. and I think everything does line up for this player because, like you mentioned, very good last year in reception perception, eighty third percentile against man coverage, ninety first percentile against press coverage. Even though lining up in the slot, he doesn't face a lot of press coverage. Really good route runner across the tree. I think he's a, a perfect number two running mate to Allen Robinson in this passing game needs that like after Robinson it's just a a, a total crapshoot of, of wide receivers like you mentioned maybe Ted Ginn is going to be you know a gadget type guy for them but he is you know way on the back nine of his career they've got just a hodgepodge of tight ends led by the ghost of Jimmy Graham I know you're a Packers guy I don't have to tell you <laughs> that he doesn't have anything left in the tank so I think Miller can easily walk into 90 targets this year uh, if everything goes right and the talent is definitely there and the reason I think that He's a very good comparison to Tyler Lockett, not just because of the career arc that he's been on, but also from a player perspective, because like I mentioned, Miller lines up a ton in the slot, but I remember coming into the NFL, he compared so favorably to me just from a subjective standpoint to a guy like Doug Baldwin. Uh, And I think Lockett has kind of become the next, maybe even better iteration of Doug Baldwin as this vertical slot receiver element that can win at all levels, but uh, it, it does get lined up in the slot a lot and can be, you know, more than just a bunny hop interior receiver. I think that is definitely the path that Miller is on right now too. Yeah. And he's available late uh, 11th, yeah. 12th round sometimes depending on the draft. Um, I'm trying to scoop him up. Definitely featured him in my receiver uh, articles. Um, John Brown. We talk about him every, every time you're on, I think uh, 20th last year, fantasy points. We, we saw the breakout coming. He was available double digit rounds last year uh, because he went from uh, Baltimore to, to Buffalo uh, Baltimore. The you know first half of the season with Joe Flacco, he was, I believe wide receiver 20. Uh, once they switched over to Lamar Jackson and, and started running the ball 50 times a game. Uh, so he left and went to, to Buffalo and, you can kind of see Buffalo trying to maybe change it, uh, their identity a little bit. Uh, they they signed uh, Cole Beasley and Brown last offseason. They you know they drafted uh, Josh Allen and now they added Stefan Diggs. Who we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, what uh, what do you see? Let's just talk about both uh, Buffalo receivers at this point with John Brown and Stefan Diggs. Like the the question here is, will there be enough volume for both players? Um, they're looking at Diggs as a you know a downgrade for him because he's going from Kirk Cousins, who's pretty accurate, to uh, Josh Allen, who's not necessarily accurate. Uh, and then John Brown going from wide receiver one to wide receiver two targets probably. Cole Beasley, I believe, had over 100 targets last year, so he could probably take a 30-target dip and give those to Brown and kind of offset what's going on with Diggs. Uh, what do you make of, of the Buffalo receivers? And then maybe how does it impact Josh Allen for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm so fascinated by this pass-catching core because, I mean, like you said, John Brown and Stefan Diggs are two staples of the reception-perception hype train. John Brown in particular, you know, dating back to that 2014 season, he's always been a guy who pops in these metrics. And the years that he's been healthy, which I think his rookie season, 2015, the year with the Ravens, and then obviously last year, he always clears the 90th percentile in success rate first-man coverage. He's... He's an elite full field route runner to me. I've always felt that way about him. And we really saw him kind of put that story in pen last year. And Diggs, 
pretty much the same way. We know that Diggs is one of the best route. I think he's the best route runner in the NFL. Routinely finishes over the 93rd percentile in success rate versus man coverage. The Bills now are one of two teams that had a wide receiver, like a duo coming into this year that that they have two players that finished in the top 15 in both success rate versus man and press coverage. The only other team is the Falcons, which were actually, you know, on the field together last year. So it's going to be really hard for Josh Allen to screw this thing up, right? <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's kind of how I feel about it. And I think when you look at Josh Allen, the where he was really poor last year was as a deep passer. Statistically, when you look at him as, you know, sort of an intermediate passer and a guy on, when you, you isolate his passer rating on slants, digs, curls, uh, flats, some of those short to intermediate, especially in breaking routes, you get him over that 90 passer rating. And, you know, that's not elite. I don't think he's ever going to be one of the most dominant statistical passers, but maybe the reason the Bills wanted to go out and get two of the best separators in the NFL is to decrease those that margin of error for Josh Allen. Because I think about how the Panthers were with Cam Newton for so long. They just idiotically continued to get these giant behemoth pass catchers that didn't get open. And essentially, I think Dave Gettleman even said, like, we want to – Cam misses high too much. We better just get him tall pass catchers. Well, I mean, good God, what a terrible like line of logic. Uh, like, and then you saw Cam get better as a statistical passer in 2018 when he had DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, Curtis Samuel, all these guys that could run layup routes and c- could get open cleanly, quickly into their routes. And I think that might be the way the Bills are looking at this right now. I'm pretty bullish on this offense. Uh, I know your, your buddy TJ, our, our mutual friend TJ yeah. Hernandez, uh, is is bullish on this passing game too. He wrote a really great article. I had him on the Yahoo Fantasy Football podcast to talk about why Josh Allen has a path to be the best fantasy quarterback this year. And I think obviously for fantasy, the argument starts with his rushing upside. But I think the meat of it really lies in the fact that you look at the pass catching group that Josh Allen played with as a rookie. I mean, you're talking about Zay Jones, your boy Kelvin Benjamin, who we just talked about, and LaShawn McCoy were the top three target getters that year. (laughs) Now you're looking at Stephon Diggs, John Brown, Cole Beasley, like guys that can actually get open. It's such a drastic change from his rookie season to now. So I think that we should leave open the possibility that Allen is probably not going to be a great statistical passer, you know, a top 10 player in the league in that regard. But he can certainly be a big-time playmaker with these guys here. Yeah, I'm fascinated by the addition of Diggs. And and I've looked at how free agent receivers do when they go from one team to another. And, you know, usually it's not as not as good unless they get an upgraded quarterback or a bigger role. I haven't looked at when a, when a quarterback gets a stud receiver, how does that improve their overall outlook? So I'm fascinated to see Kyler Murray, and I'm fascinated to see um, Josh Allen uh, this year to see how they do now with Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins in the fold. Uh, it's funny you bring up those two guys too and like the whole changing teams thing because this is this question comes up a lot with DeAndre Hopkins and I think it it applies to Diggs too even though Hopkins I think is objectively a better overall receiver I I think Diggs is a top 10 guy in the league we don't really we don't really have a large sample of these type of players especially a guy of Hopkins pedigree changing teams in the middle of their career you know like we've got Brandon Marshall I think is probably the best example but then you're looking at like Vincent Jackson Alshon Jeffrey Deshaun Jackson good players but not elite number one coverage dictating wide receivers the guys we have recently uh from last year Antonio Brown well I don't know that's kind of a mulligan and obviously we're going to talk about Odell later but I think injuries kind of screwed his year over last year so I don't think we, we do have a sample of like it is 
objectively not good for a, a wide receiver to change teams, but I don't think we have a large sample of like these type of wide receivers changing teams. Are you suggesting that it wasn't a good idea to trade away DeAndre Hopkins in his prime? Is that what you're saying? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it. But if, but if you're gonna do it, you definitely have to do it for one of the highest paid running backs who hasn't had a good season in three years. <laughs> well, we know that we know that David Johnson is going to see a lot of volume. This is not a running back podcast, but we know Bill O'Brien is going to force feed him to make it work. He's gonna, he's gonna make it happen for David Johnson. I think. Oh um, yeah, it's nothing better than hate drafting David Johnson in like round six or something like yeah. that, just because it's like, well, I'm looking at my board and. This is this is the best running back available. Oh God, yeah, I, he's gonna get what a, what a fun time. Three hundred fifty touches. Um, all right, so let's talk about uh, one thing I noticed this year. Not not only Deontay Johnson, but a lot of rookies showed up here in the top half of your oh yeah uh, of your of your charting. So let's talk about Terry McLaurin. Uh, he's fifteenth in the one one number rankings. Um, quarterback play was a question mark last year. He kind of he he produced through through it. Um, Case Keenum was in, Dwayne Haskins was in. He he averaged a 10.63 uh, yards per attempt with Case Keenum, and it went down to 9.6 from Dwayne Haskins, which is kind of surprising because Haskins and, and McLaurin played together in college. But um, Haskins is a rookie, so, I mean, he's to be forgiven for some of that. But still pretty high yards per attempt for a rookie uh, receiver. Um, 919 yards, seven touchdowns, 93 targets in 14 games. Finished uh, 28th uh, fantasy receiver. He's kind of, you know, he's not going that much higher than that. Uh, even though he played 14 games, and if had he had he played more, he would have probably finished uh, significantly higher. Uh, what did you notice when you charted uh, McLaren, and what do you think about him repeating, uh, growing on that next year? Oh yeah, I mean, this is my top breakout pick of the year, and I think, I mean, like the it's the obvious one. I think to me, um, you mentioned it. There's this 2019 wide receiver class. I'm like sky high on all of these guys. We're we're gonna do a lot of hyping here for this particular wide receiver class, but I think the guy at the top for me right now is Terry McLaurin. And if you'll indulge me here for a second, John, I have a list of excellent reception perception nuggets to to, to give you on Terry McLaurin. 76% success rate versus man coverage. That's at the 89th percentile. 79.7% 93rd percentile against press. Excellent across the route tree, deep, short, intermediate, whatever you want. He he absolutely crushed it. Recorded the fourth. His success rate versus man coverage score was the fourth best among all rookies since 2014. Only Odell Beckham, Tyler Lockett, and Calvin Ridley beat him. When you look at him against press coverage, third best since 2014. Only players to beat him there are Odo Beckham and Michael Thomas, two pretty good wide receivers. And that success rate versus man coverage is the 34th best score among all wide receivers, like I mentioned off the top. That's over 250 players sampled since 2014. Also great on contested catches. I mean, whatever you want, McLaurin shined on it as a rookie last year. I, I could not like possibly be more bullish on the fact that if everything comes together, I think he's going to be a superstar receiver. And people can chirp about Dwayne Haskins, and he certainly wasn't great to start his rookie year. I think he absolutely just wasn't ready to play for whatever reason. Uh, but he does get out there, and he struggled a bit. But he finished pretty solid to end the last three games, and that was in those three games. McLaurin went over 270 yards, scored a couple of times, was a very solid producer. And I think that Haskins can build on that. And even if you just take his McLaurin's rate stats with Haskins and give him like a 23% target share in Washington's offense, which I think is very possible considering what else is going to go on there. This team's going to throw the ball a lot because they're not going to be good. They also have a pass-heavy offensive coordinator. 
there's just really no holes to me in McLaurin at least beating his, like at least getting to his ADP. I've got him at wide receiver 13. I'm very, very uh, excited about him this year. All right. I'm taking notes. I may move him up after that, that hole. That was, that was convincing. Um, <laughs> I mean, like I said, this is the, this is the, I think it's the second best overall rookie season that I've charted since Beckham in 2014. Oh, like when cool. you look at every single factor together, Lockett's 2015 was definitely up there and we know it took him a long time to get to where he is now because of injuries. But yeah, I think, I think McLaurin is just an absolute superstar. This whole, like I said, the whole class is good. 2019. We'll talk about plenty of these guys, but the best to me right now is McLaurin. And I really don't think the quarterback play like all we, John, all we need is, is, Haskins to be passable mm-hmm. and, and I think he can I think he can be passable I, I don't think he's going to be a complete joke uh and like I think think about Allen Robinson in 2014 we just need him we just need Mick, we just need Haskins to be like Blake Bortles good I think he could be Blake Bortles good well think about Allen Robinson in 2019 uh he finished yeah. seventh uh in PPR and he had Mitch Trubisky as his quarterback so exactly um you meant you touched on it uh there is the OC change uh regime change there in Washington I just wanted to mention this. In neutral situations, uh, per pro football reference, score within seven points either way. The Panthers passed at a 64% or 65% clip under Scott Turner, 62% under Norv Turner. Last year, Washington's neutral pass rate was 57%, so significantly more uh, pass-heavy we're expecting this offense to be. And it's not going to be great team, so they're probably going to be trailing and throwing the ball anyway. So. Um, yeah, things are definitely lining up. There's also those injuries uh, in the receiving core. So just, you know, um, McLaurin should just really, I mean, 93 targets in 14 games last year, you could probably, I don't know, pencil him in for 120 this year at least. So Yeah, I um, think 120 is the floor. Yeah. Honestly, I think that's the floor. All right, another, we got a, we got another hype, another hype guy, Mar- Marquise <laughs> yeah. Brown, uh, another rookie in the top 20-ish. He's at 17. He's a pretty popular breakout candidate. I'm seeing a lot of uh, different articles about him. Um, so I went on Rotoviz, uh, compared him to a duck. If it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, swims like a duck, which he went through the whole, I, uh, I think was, I can't remember the guy's name uh, off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Uh, Patrick was the last name. Uh, just blanking on it right now. Great article. If you have a chance to, to read it over at Rotoviz. Um, he would struggle with injury, um, but when he played, he was pretty effective um, what'd you see when you, when you charted him? Yeah, he, he definitely, uh, underperformed, I think against press coverage, like about 64%, which is right around, you know, sort of an average number, but I think you can chalk that up to injuries. But when he just faced man coverage, he was above that 83rd percentile mark. Like I've mentioned several times when we're looking for breakout guys, only route that he checked in under the NFL average was the comeback, which ironically, I sat down with Marquise Brown, uh, before his NFL draft a couple years ago. And he said, that's his favorite route to run. Well, maybe when he's healthy this year, that'll be, it'll be one of his best routes, but like I think when you look at Marquise Brown too, just look at the route percentage chart in reception perception. The only route that he comes in under an average rate, just in terms of running the route is the nine route, which I think is very fascinating considering how strong he finished overall. This is a guy to me back in college. I thought he, I was bullish on him being a full field receiver, not just a deep threat, not just a gadget guy. Like, because he is such a good detailed route runner that I think he can separate 
you know, short, deep, intermediate, whatever, in addition to just being a speed guy. So I'm, I'm totally in on the train of him breaking out this year. You know, it's great that he's attached to the MVP and the MVP uh, from last year at quarterback. And I think that the Ravens are going to throw the ball more. So I think everything pretty much lines up for Brown this year, considering they didn't add, you know, a ton of competition in that wide receiver room. Uh, just to get back to that article, Curtis Patrick was the writer. Marquise Brown is a virtual lock to set the fantasy world ablaze in 2020 anytime somebody can use the word ablaze in a title i am very good going yeah. to, to plug it um <laughs> good article and uh, i like the call on brown the the only issue you have with him is volume 5.1 targets last year um but you're hoping uh that the the ravens open up the offense a little bit more as as lamar jackson continues to develop as a passer um and then maybe just his health and just playing more snaps uh being able to play more snaps i think will increase his targets as well so um He's going. I actually put it. Uh, I was had Rich Rebar on the Yahoo Fantasy podcast too yesterday, and he actually put it pretty well to me, which was like, I think we're looking for Marquise Brown to be sort of the new Tyler Lockett, which is, you know, he's never going to get the overall volume that we want, but he gets end zone targets and he gets deep targets, like the targets that matter more than just those bunny hop targets, like a you know a Hunter Renfro is going to get or something like that. Um, I think that was a pretty good way of putting it that I think like we're never we're never going to be able to project Marquise Brown for like 125, 130 targets, but he's going to get more valuable looks than some of these other receivers. Yeah. And the same conversation happened on Twitter yesterday. I believe it was uh, Sigmund Bloom who said the targets from Lamar Jackson are worth so much more than a target from most other um, quarterbacks. And that's why, you know, Tyler Lockett prior to getting 110 targets last year was surviving as a fantasy player is because he was getting really high yield targets from, from Russell Wilson. And that's another good way to put it. Like the targets from, from from Jackson are just worth more than, than, than other quarterbacks, a lot of them. So uh, that allows him to survive. And if he jumps up to seven targets a game, then he's in pretty good shape. So um, let's move on to, I guess he's a post hype sleeper now. Uh, Everybody loved him last year. I think I, everybody I talked to anyway, Curtis Samuel, uh, was a good route runner two years ago and a good route runner last year, 18th, uh, 11th, the previous season in my one, uh, one ranking, um, one number rankings, but, uh, he's going, I don't know, 12th, 13th round now because of the addition of, uh, Robbie Anderson. Uh, we have a new quarterback there. We have a new offensive coordinator. Uh, I, I've been scooping him up because I don't necessarily see the Robbie Anderson as a, as a big downside for Samuel and Samuel did pretty well last year with really bad quarterback play. Um, he had just five of his 27 deep ball targets, uh, 20 plus yards downfield were deemed catchable per uh, yeah. pro football focus. So, um, and he caught all five. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, there's 49 receivers that had at least 15 targets last year, deep ball targets last year. He was 49th in catchable target rate. Uh, had he enjoyed just like league average accuracy, he would have projected to catch another 6.7 passes for t- 218 yards. And now you're looking at, 845 yards receiving as opposed to 627 and that, you know, maybe he gets a couple touchdowns and now he's in the top 20 or top 22. That's about where Stefan Diggs finished last year. Just, you know, at my back of uh, napkin math, um, the saints didn't really ask Teddy Bridgewater to throw the ball deep very often, but, you know, you know, looking at LSU and what they did, they did throw the ball deep with Joe Burrow. Um, so how much do you think the quarterback play will help him? And, and what do you, you know, think of him coming into this year, even with the addition of Robbie Anderson? Yeah, you mentioned it like the narrative would be totally different if just a few more of those uncatchable passes deep downfield were catchable and Samuel hauled them in. Um, 
and people will say, look, well, DJ Moore produced with this this quarterback last year. Why didn't Curtis Samuel? And I think it just comes down to usage. In their reception perception samples, DJ Moore ran a slant dig or screen on 48% of his charted routes. On the other hand, those are, you know, and those are like great layup routes. Those are good for a bad quarterback. They're easier to hit over the middle sort of patterns. But when you look at Curtis Samuel, he ran a nine corner out or comeback on 46.3% of his charted patterns. Only DK Metcalf ran nine routes at a higher rate than Curtis Samuel. Essentially what the Panthers did last year, early in the season, they sort of started kind of correct it towards the back half of the year. And I think the current coaching staff is going to correct that. They really just asked Samuel, run straight down the field and hope Kyle Allen's going to hit you. Not a very good plan (laughs) in my mind. Uh, And I actually think that adding Robbie Anderson could help take Curtis Samuel off some of those deep patterns. And it's not that he's a bad deep route runner, but He's, a, as you mentioned, a great route runner across the field. A 92nd percentile score in 2018 versus man coverage and a very solid 75% success rate this past year. Like, if Samuel never goes on to have a 1,000-yard season, he would be, as I mentioned off the top, one of these really great outliers in reception perception when they score this high. And maybe he is. Maybe he ends up being, you know, the one outlier in, in, among all these guys that I've charted. That's certainly possible, but I think you're – your odds are much better that he does eventually have that breakout year. And I love the way that Joe Brady and the coaching staff has talked about Curtis Samuel so far. They've talked about him as an integral player to their plan. And I think they are going to spread the field with all of these different receivers. Curtis Samuel could definitely end up lined in a slot, lined up in the slot a decent amount, which I think is going to be just an ideal fit for a separator like him. I really think, Volume is sort of problematic in this Panthers offense just because there's a lot of guys. McCaffrey's going to demand a target share. Moore is one of the best ascending players in the NFL right now. Robbie Anderson is a good deep threat. Ian Thomas, I think, is an interesting tight end. But I think Panthers, much like Washington, they're going to be throwing the ball a lot because their defense is going to be one of the worst in the NFL. So I think the overall volume could be there for Samuel to carve out a decent slice and have a really good season. Yeah, Teddy's known for not being really a – throwing the ball deep a lot but yeah I think they're signaling with this signing of Robbie Anderson and how they're talking about Curtis Samuel you, you talked I pulled up the quote Curtis is going to be critical to success he's a playmaker he fits the mold of what we're looking for in this offense he's a guy you can utilize all around the field and get the ball in the hands and good things happen so this is you know this is uh, Joe Brady talking about um uh, about Samuel so that made me feel a little bit better about him uh, I know teams were trying to you know trade for him and they just basically shut that down, it appears. So, yeah. uh, which, you know, as a Packer fan, that was a little, I don't know if they were one of the ones calling, but that would have been nice. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, you know, with with Anthony Miller, same deal with Curtis Samuel. These guys are going double-digit rounds. Curtis is 12th, 13th round. You can get him as your wide receiver five or six. And you can kind of wait and see. You don't have to count on him week one. You can kind of wait and see how they're going to use him. And you might end up, you know, if there's an injury on the depth chart or something, all of a sudden you end up with a wide receiver two on your on your roster in the 13th round. I think that's you get as we're learning here as we we talk about reception perception is if you draft players with talent, even if they you're not sure about the role, you know maybe you find a gem and you end up some end up with a breakout season when people aren't sort of expecting it. And he's a post type sleeper because he burned some people last year, I, I guess with a, a Oh yeah. Three. Yeah. I mean, just my fault, uh, apparently, uh, <laughs> you know, well, I, I mean, I, and I did, I mean, I hyped up, uh, Curtis Samuel a lot to the point where he, he was going in like round six, uh, in some fantasy drafts last year. So people are definitely burned. Well, you, and, I mean, in fairness, you should know that Cam Newton's going to get hurt 
and that right. Curtis Samuel is going to have five accurate uh, deep balls thrown to him all season, and he's gonna, only going to catch five. Right. I mean, that's what I kept telling people. Like, <laughs> look, if I had known that he was going to be playing with Kyle Allen and Will Greer to you know for more than for for for, for camp started two games last year, you know, right. for, I knew these guys are going to be the quarterback. I wouldn't have tell you to draft Curtis Samuel in the mid rounds last year. Yeah, I, I think there's a chance too that they use Samuel as sort of. Uh, as McCaffrey's backup, maybe, you know, running I know, a yeah, more, that's so. an intriguing part, too. Um, all right, let's move on to another rookie, yet another, uh, who, this is a funny, kind of a funny story, because coming into the, the season, uh, there's a lot of scouts that just question his route running, but DK Metcalf, uh, it comes in at 19 in my one-number rankings, uh, fairly surprising from that standpoint, after we heard that he's a, you know, can only run two routes or one route. Um, Seattle gave him 100 targets, I just want to mention this before you get into him, uh, it was the 31st most amongst rookie receivers since 2017, most since 2010. Since the 2000 season, 19 of 26 receivers with 900 or 90 to 110 targets as rookies saw their targets per game increase the following season by an average of 15%. So he should see his role grow from from here, even though the the, the Seahawks are fairly run heavy. Um, what do you make of Metcalf? Yeah, I think the Seahawks were smart in the way that they used him because. Like there were a lot of scouts, like you said, that said he could only run two routes. He, uh, he was stiff or whatever, could only line up on one side of the field. Uh, that might all be true, but he's one of the most dominant physical specimens at the position. Like my thought of him coming out of college was like, fig- you know, just figure it out. Like go- find a way to make it work. And the Seahawks did. They simplified Metcalf's assignment in a very interesting way. He took 63% of his snaps at left wide receiver. That was the highest of any outside receiver sampled in reception perception last year, 53% of his charted routes were either a slant or a nine route, those two routes, but who cares? Because Metcalf was legitimately dominant on those patterns. He had the second best success rate on slants and he was well above the average on success rate on nine routes too. They just let him do what he did. And, and he crushed that. And really overall, like you mentioned, Metcalf was great across the route tree, even though he wasn't running, you know, a variety of other patterns, 85th percentile success rate versus Man coverage, uh, 79th against press, and was really good on contested passes too. My pre-draft comp for Metcalf was Des Bryant. And his rookie season and reception perception, the results were so similar to you know Des Bryant in the prime of his career. In 2014 in reception perception, Des finished at the 88th percentile in success rate versus man coverage, 95th against press and 57% of his routes were a slant, a nine or a post. And like, again, Des was not some nuanced detailed route runner with all the head swivels and whatever, but he was an overwhelming physical specimen and they constricted his assignment to a point that they just went him, let, let him go out and do what he did best. And that's exactly what the Seahawks did with Metcalf last year. And I think it's a really encouraging sign that he can, if Metcalf continues to improve, he could become a Des Bryant type player. Again, albeit not with the type of overall volume that you're looking for in fantasy, but he's going to get those juicy Russell Wilson targets too. I think Lockett and Metcalf. I don't know. I don't know how you project these guys, John, but I think that like they could easily do what the Bucks duo did last year and pretty much just own like 50% of the targets to themselves uh, because there's just not much else going on in that Seahawks passing game. Yeah, the one worry I have is that they're going to sign Antonio Brown and then all the... All yeah, these. that would really screw things up. <laughs> yeah, 
because he's he's a he's a game changer. If they they're like one of the teams that's really been linked to him a lot, so I, that's why I wouldn't worry there. But I do have Lockett still ahead of Metcalf. Oh, me too. Yeah, in my, too. my projections, and I, I think I'm I think we're in the minority on that. Uh, I think everybody's expecting Metcalf to take a bigger leap. Um, AJ Brown, uh, a guy that I'm getting a lot of this year. I, I guess I have him. I mean, I have him in the top ten. I'm, I think I'm at seven or eight on him. Oh, nice. Uh, I, I I see Ryan Tannehill um, regressing some, but not so much that he, you know, Brown can't offset that. And you look at what t- he did with Tannehill last year, as you know, after the starter, he took over as a starter in week seven. Brown's numbers jumped from three point eight uh, seventy eight. Oh, jumped to three point eight catches for seventy eight yards, six. 0.6 touchdowns on 6.1 targets per game. Uh, that equates to a, you know, 1,250 yard season, 9.6 touchdowns. And that's about what DeAndre Hopkins scored last year as a number six fantasy receiver. So what'd you see when you, when you charted Brown? Yeah, I find that interesting that you have uh, Brown that high because there are definitely a lot of people that expect, you know, overall regression uh, to some of his statistics and, you know, the, the lack of volume overall in, in Tennessee from a passing game perspective is definitely going to hold people back. But I don't think that we should put any limits on A.J. Brown, the player. Um, I think the most impressive thing about Brown's rookie season that, you know, coming into the NFL, there were a lot of people that said, oh, he could be a Juju Smith-Schuster type of guy, you know, a big slot receiver that wins on the inside because he did a lot of that in college. But (laughs) coming into the NFL, uh, Brown was – just a, a true number one X receiver last year. He played outside on 88.8% of his charted snaps and reception perception was on the line of scrimmage as that X receiver on 84% faced press on 31% of his routes. Again, that's right at there in line with a lot of these elite number one receivers. And he was awesome posting an 85th percentile success rate versus man coverage score. I mean, this, he went out and was kind of that true alpha right away. So I have him ranked wide receiver 16 and I'm not, concerned about the conditions in Tennessee because I think he if there is more passing this year this is only you know that's it's only going to be to his overall statistical benefit yeah you look at who else is on the roster you have Corey Davis Johnny Smith who I do expect a breakout from but there just isn't a lot there and you're, you're trying to tell me that not you but you know the royal you that AJ Brown is it going to see more than 84 targets this yeah, year right? I mean like his role should grow into that 110-120 that we're used to seeing from wide receiver one. Even if they don't throw the ball um, a ton, it doesn't mean that he's not going to be the, you know, maybe a 28% target share, 30% target share type of a guy. I mean, there's just not a lot of options there. So, And he was so productive with Tannehill that, I no, I love him. I think I'm getting him in the fourth round sometimes, and it's great. Uh, yeah. I feel like I'm stealing. Um, all right, we're going to talk about the rest of the sample after a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, if you're tired of taking a straight razor to your bean bag and having it look like a scene out of a horror show, listen up. Manscaped has you covered. They're the best in men's below the belt grooming. They just redesigned their electric trimmer. It's called the Lawnmower 3.0, and the Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months on this bad boy. They've perfected it, trust me. I've used it. Nice, close, comfortable shave. The thing even has an LED light. It illuminates the grooming area so you can see what you're doing. We've all been there before. We're trying to clean things up a little bit, and it winds up being a bit of a disaster because, again, you're dealing with a straight razor to the old huevos rancheros. You know what I mean? So stop with the dangerous weapons on your family jewels and try manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TMAP at manscaped.com. Again, 
20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with the code TMAP. Check out the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. All right, so one of my favorite players, PPR formats over the years, has been Julian Edelman. We have a situation where now where you know Cam Newton is in there instead of Tom Brady. I noticed his route running maybe he fell off a little bit last year. He's 27th in, in the one number rankings after three straight finishes in the top 13. Did you, did you notice anything when you charted him? I mean, I definitely think he's getting, you know, he's getting up there. It's, it's pretty natural uh, for some slight decline from Edelman. Really. I don't, I don't have too many, too many problems with the player himself, but like when you, when you do break down like his overall route success rate chart, the, the places where he's always shined, you know, are still above average. Like you look at him on the dig, you look at him on the slant, the flat, uh, the out route. There are certainly, he's never, he's never been a great vertical player. That's just not his role. I really just, I think less so, I don't have as many questions about the individual player, more so just like, how is he going to fit with Cam Newton, who I think got better, you know, throwing over the middle of the field, throwing to that type of player when they actually had some guys in Carolina that could do that. But I do think it's just going to be, an interesting fit when you go from Tom Brady, who he shared such a mind meld with to mm-hmm. Cam Newton uh, and what that's going to look like this year. I personally haven't found myself targeting him very much in fantasy. Yeah. I've been ending up with him, uh, you know, eighth, ninth round. Cause he's just, you know, given what he has done in his career and having him there. I, and the one stat that kind of jumped out to me when I did my 99 stats, but a Mitch, Mitch ain't one article was looking at this switched from uh, Brady to Newton and, you know, Brady threw for 4,057 yards, 24 touchdowns last year. That produced 46.0 uh, half PPR receiving points per game for, you know, for his receivers. Newton's 2018 projection, uh, 3,395 yards and 24 touchdowns in 14 games, uh, produced exactly the same number of receiving points per game for his receivers. So maybe the mm-hmm. drop-off won't be that steep if Newton picks up the system and wins the job and everything's hunky dory in, in New England. So that's a that's a big if. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, Edelman going from uh, you know wide receiver one numbers and now being drafted mm-hmm. as a wide receiver four, wide receiver five. Um, there, there is a there is a bit of a discount there depending on what you're looking for at that point in the draft. Um, another player, I believe we talked about him last last year, uh, Mike Williams. I noticed that he jumped up in his ranking a little bit. I don't know that, you know, maybe you noticed anything improving with his, his route running. As I wanted to ask you about him, he was eighth in air yards last year, but finished 38th at his position, uh, mainly because he caught two touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after, after like way out shooting that, you know, way overshooting his projected touchdown total for the year before. Yeah. He had 10 the year before. So if he could get his a thousand yards from last year, coupled with his 10 touchdowns from the previous year, he's going to, you know, finish as a wide receiver one or a wide receiver two. So what do you, what do you think of Mike Williams heading into the season? I know he's got the change at quarterback with, uh, you know, Rivers to Tyrod Taylor, but what, what do you make of this? Yeah, people would probably be surprised at this one because, you know, usually you think of reception perception or you think of like guys I want to draft are these like great route runners, separators, you know, smaller, faster guys, whatever. Um, I cannot stop drafting Mike Williams where he's going in fantasy right now because he's another one just, you know, ninth round that he's typically going off the board. Uh, I just drafted him uh, in the Apex Writers League as well, which is a wide wide receiver heavy format. the, the, the crazy thing about Mike Williams' reception perception last year, I mean, because I agree with you, he definitely, he's a solid separator. You know, 62nd percentile success rate versus man coverage at 69% overall. People would probably think he's a guy that's just never open, but he's sort of like a low-grade 
Mike Evans, where I think, you know, Evans is up there at like 70% success rate versus man. And he's another guy that people probably think of as just, you know, a big bodied receiver, but underrated as a separator. And I think Williams is right there too. But the crazy thing about his reception perception last year, he saw a contested catch attempt on 42.6% of his sampled targets. That's number one, insane. And no player has recorded a higher rate in reception perception history. He routinely sees these high degree of difficulty passes and he still posted an 80% conversion rate. Mm-hmm. So like he is has a legitimate trump card trait as a contested catch player, as a dominator at the catch point. And it's one of those things where I just wonder if a team just decided to throw the ball 140 times to Mike Williams in these situations, <laughs> what would ha- like how would that go? It's just so fascinating to think about because like a lot of the a lot of the contested catch attempts last year that he saw, like these wild situations he was in, he was thrown into those situations by Rivers who really couldn't push the ball vertically anymore. So. I can't stop drafting Mike Williams just because I think the the upside to where he's going right now is is just it's not in line. I'm ending up with a lot of him as well, and I think it's a function of how deep receiver is that you know he's going off the board. You know, I don't know receiver 49. Um, that is not usually the case for a player, even you know with a thousand yards last year or ten touchdowns in his you know career uh, in a season two seasons ago. So. Um, and he's a young guy, and Tyrod Taylor now has is been on the team. He's seen him catch these balls, so you would think that he would continue to throw him uh, some of these contested balls since they know that he's good. Where, at it. where are you at with the Chargers just as a whole? Because they're like every time I look at them, I feel like the whole outfit is just underrated from like a fantasy perspective. Like I think Eckler can totally smash this year. Um, I think Keenan Allen is probably under draft. Like, I think his ADP is too low. I might have, I think he goes off the board like wide receiver 25, but Mm -hmm. I think you could still pencil him in for a 24% target share. uh, And that's probably going to be enough for him to, to way out kick that cost. Like I said, Williams is way too cheap. The only guy I really don't find myself drafting very much is Hunter Henry, just because that mid like range of tight end is usually not a place I'm looking to, to take stabs at, but yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like if Tyrod Taylor is the quarterback from like an efficiency and safety perspective that he was in Buffalo, I think all of these Chargers players are going to end up looking like values. Yeah, fantasy communities in general, like drafters, are down. <coughs> excuse me, are down on the passing game, and I, you know, I do think that there's a good chance that it shrinks, and I don't know how much it's going to, to shrink. And you compare uh, the Buffalo Bills 2015, 2016, when he actually had some uh, weapons. Um, it was the passing game was 26% lower as far as fantasy points uh, than the chargers passing game under Phillip rivers. And that's some of that's due to uh, just Tyra Taylor running. Um, but also, uh, you know, the overall scheme of the, of the offense in Buffalo compared to what it was in, in, uh, in LA. So I, if you look at the weapons in Sandy or San Diego in, in LA for the chargers, um, the fact that you can get, Tyrod Taylor is like the last quarterback off the board uh, when they are probably going to be pretty good and stay in the playoff hunt for quite, you know, quite some time. He's going to have to fall on his face for them to make a quarterback change. And, you know, he was top 15 fantasy uh, quarterback in, uh, you know, two straight seasons as a starter for Buffalo. So I think that's, uh, you know, if you if you really want to go YOLO on the streaming quarterback, you know, just load up your roster and then take Tyrod Taylor, you know, when when you have to. 
and uh, you know his his opening season or opening schedule is pretty pretty attractive as well. So I as as a whole, I'm pretty I'm pretty bullish on it. I do think that there is going to be some uh, retraction in terms of the um, number of uh, pass attempts and the overall passing game. So that's the only concern there. But Keenan Allen's going late. Mike Mike Williams is going late. Austin Eckler probably should be going higher. Uh, I'm not getting Hunter Henry because he's kind of going in that tier in between where I really don't want a tight end. But I I mean I agree with you 100. percent yeah, I mean, Rivers threw the ball 591 times last year. I think you could easily see like 50 pass attempts shaved off that. But even then, there was enough, I think, for Eckler, for Williams, and Allen particularly to be values. The only thing that does give me pause, like I said, we need Tyrod to be the quarterback that he was in Buffalo because mm-hmm. you mentioned like falling flat on his face. Last time we saw Tyrod in Cleveland, he did kind of fall flat on his face and led to uh yep. led to Baker Mayfield getting in there. And I we we could see a similar situation, but the, the I do think it's encouraging that you know Anthony Lynn has a history with yeah. Tyrod Taylor and I also think there no one's really going to be in a rush to see Justin Herbert considering the truncated nature of this offseason. Yeah, I, I was going to mention that with Lynn the history there. I think they're going to give him plenty of leash and and we'll see how it goes. Um one thing I think we talked about last time but I want to bring it up again. I just see some interesting names that you would think are players that have a reputation for being really good route runners. They don't fare particularly well in your charting, and they're usually slot guys. It's like uh, Cooper Cup, Jamison Crowder, Juju Smith-Schuster, Golden Tate, Tyler Boyd. We don't need to like go into all these guys, but in general, you know they they finished bottom third in the in the one number rankings. What do you? They're still productive. So what do you think that they can do that sort of gets them around the fact that they aren't separating as much as you might think? Yeah, a lot of these guys aren't good uh, against man coverage, um, okay. per- particularly like like I said, Juju, Cooper Cup are t- two really good examples. Um, even Jamison Crowder, you know, eighty two percent success rate versus zone, but sixty percent success rate versus man coverage. So, I- and I think that's why these guys are slot receivers, right? Like I think if they could beat man and press coverage, they'd line up on the outside. But they're able to get you know these favorable looks on the inside. And when you look at players, especially like Tyler Boyd, uh, like Cooper Cup, like Juju Smith-Schuster, they're different from that traditional slot receiver archetype. You know, they're such a physical, they're such a physical mismatch than the traditional Julian Edelman's or even the Jameson Crowder's. So I think they, they don't just become good slot receivers. They become weapons inside. Like maybe Juju and Cooper Cup could, I mean, not not Cooper Cup. Let me take that back. Cooper Cup couldn't play outside, <laughs> but maybe Juju could like actually be a solid possession receiver as an outside guy. But he becomes such more of a mismatch advantage and such more so so much more of a unique weapon to your offense when he's lined up inside. That I think that's why you see him play that position. So that that's one thing where like they definitely run like Juju runs a lot of routes against man coverage. Uh, Cooper Cup does not. But both of these guys, they win because they were able to get that separation against zone, which is a skill set in and of itself. Yeah, I'm looking at the numbers now. You mentioned that with Cup, he's like the worst in the sample against man. 89 yep. routes run against man. But one of the best, if uh looks like one of the best, second and third best, maybe after Juju, against zone. Um, so that's that's fairly interesting. And there's been some talk about the, the Rams going to more 12 personnel. And where does that leave Cup on the field? I mean, he... With Brandon Cooks out last year, towards the end of the season, people were worried about Cup's, you know, snaps. But he, he you know, he ran ninety three percent snap rate with with Cooks out. So I just kind of assume that he's going to be an every down player. But if he's this ineffective, uh, 
you know, against man, that might be uh, might be wishful thinking. Cup is fascinating too because um, he doesn't just like you said he he doesn't run a lot of routes against man. I would argue that no player in reception perception has had a more unique role than Cooper Cup over mm-hmm. the course of reception perception history, which is like I said, the last six years. No receiver has run against zone coverage at a higher rate than Cooper Cup. And he's and he's also one of the lowest against press nine point two nine nine point seven percent routes against press in two thousand eighteen and two thousand nineteen uh, and like I said the two highest in terms of routes against zone uh, over the last and those are each of the two thousand eighteen two thousand nineteen season you know he's never finished above the twelfth percentile in success rate versus man or press coverage at any point so. I do think he's had one of the most unique roles in 2018 and 2019, just really in his entire career with the Rams. It's worth asking, like you said, the the Rams went to a lot of 12 personnel last year. But again, I'll I'll harken back to the podcast that I just had with Rich Rebar, where he brought up a point that like as soon as whenever they were trailing last year, they went right back to that 11 personnel, you know, roots. And I think there's a pretty good chance that the Rams are not a very good team this year and they're trailing a decent amount. So I uh, don't really find myself drafting either of these Rams receivers this year, but it's, it is um, just because of where they go in drafts. There's already somebody I like more, and I have so many questions about how players are going to be used in this offense. That's interesting. I'm pretty high on uh, Robert Woods, and um, uh, I like Cup as well. I, I'm more of a Woods over Cup guy, but I think Cup in best ball with his touchdown scoring is more appealing. Uh, Woods doesn't score a lot of touchdowns, but that's interesting that you're sort of avoiding because what Robert Woods seems to be everybody's favorite value in that fifth round um so who who are you taking there maybe mclaurin or yeah Yeah, i mean just somebody with more like i just don't think there's any ceiling with robert woods and i think you could get guys like tyler boyd or sterling shepherd that maybe even jameson crowder like further down the line that in a disaster scenario like they could robert woods is going to out target all of those guys this this coming year but i think if a situation arises where there's injuries in the Giants receiver core, you could like Golden Tate goes down, Darius Slayton is you know not really a thing. Evan Ingram gets hurt again. Then Sterling Shepard, who also is a risk in and of himself, but like he could walk into a giant target share and become a very very discounted version of what you paid for in the fifth round with Robert Woods. All right, let's talk about Odell Beckham and you know the the samples that I have uh, for you 2016 through 2019. Um, he finished fourth, third, third, and then 40th. Yeah. Uh, was it, was it, a, was it an injury that I, you think? I, I love that you put it that way because it really just puts the, puts the raw number to it. Uh, I tweeted this out recently that, you, you know, you look at Beckham's career in reception perception because uh, he owns the second best success rate versus man coverage score ever charted back in 2014. Um, you know, he's consistently been, above the 98th percentile in success rate versus press coverage. And then you look at last year and it's a huge decrease. Um, I think it's an injury, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I watch him like right away. Uh, he was one of the first players that I charted in, in for reception perception last year. Uh, he just didn't look like the same guy. My only conclusion to account for such a dramatic fall off in reception perception is that he was playing through a debilitating sports hernia all year. Like th- that was reported. Um, the, but the, but that, that doesn't leave all questions answered. Uh, I think it's easy to say like, okay, whatever, you know, he, he had this down year injuries. He's going to come back this year, but does he come back and become that same, in my opinion, legendary type talent? We really just don't know because 
there's been so many mounting injuries to this point that it could sort of be the beginning of a decline. But um, so I think it's pretty much just up to like your personal evaluation. Then I'm going to hold out the candle or keep the candle lit that this was just an outlier and he's going to get back to being that, you know, elite reception perception guy. But he might not be like, it's an impossible uh, question to answer. The only way we'll find out is when we actually see the games play. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it cannot go understated. I think your like one number rankings really show this was a, a top three separator, a top three overall mm-hmm. wide receiver in the NFL. And last year he becomes, you know, a Jag, which I, you don't see that very often in my charting. Like, I think the only guy that really has a fall off like that is Des Bryant. Uh, and he was like out of the league a year later. <laughs> Uh, that this is the Cleveland offense is really fascinating to me because you you've got um a change at uh head coach now Kevin Stefanski coming in and he was extremely run heavy with the with the Vikings and I don't know if that was necessarily him or is that what Mike Very Zimmer wanted. wanted to do yeah yeah like whole, that whole was crew. he just going along with it so that he could be the OC and go get a head coaching job um but you know the first thing he does is goes and signs Austin Hooper who's not like a great run blocker. Right. So, like, what are you signaling here? And, and you know, how, how run heavy are they going to be? Uh, they're going to have an excellent offensive line. And, you know, it's, it's really going to be – like, I, I'm low on Beckham. I'm not getting many shares of him at all because of the, where, where I've got him ranked and where he's going. Um, but when I, when I crunched the number here, the one ranking number, I was like, wow, this is just really a fall off. And it's got to be that sports hernia. I mean, that like, just changing teams doesn't explain him not being able to – separate as much as he was able to the previous three seasons yeah that's that's the thing like it has to be the injury that affected him last year and then the only question is just like is it the beginning of a decline or is it one is it a one-year blip and i think the fact that he's had so many lower body injuries it's worth asking the question but again me personally i'm in on beckham this year i like this whole i like the whole construction of this offense even if they do run the ball at a higher rate than we typically like for the passing game. I think the way they're going to use Baker Mayfield in a similar fashion to Kirk Cousins uh, last year in terms of what he was, you know, a boot action guy, play action, running those, you know, short uh, kind of layup routes. I think that's going to be really different than the way they played in Cleveland last year. Uh, speaking of lower body injuries, Amari Cooper, um, <laughs> I, 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 same same kind of thing. He's been all over the place. I guess not same thing, type of thing. He's been all over the place the entire sample that I have for you, uh, the, you know, 15th, 41st, 28th, 45th. I think we're probably talking about injuries as well. Cause he was late last season. He was getting outscored by Michael Gallup. Uh, you know, he came out of the gates, red hot, uh, had some, had some injuries. And then Michael Gallup really came on and basically outscored him, uh, for the second half of the season. Um, now you have CD lamb in there and you have Blake Jarwin at, at tight end. This is one of the most loaded offenses as well. I I feel like I'm low on Cooper. Um, his ADP at FFPC is wide receiver 10. Um, I think I have him at 17 or 16 just because there's a lot of competition for targets there. What do you, what do you make of Cooper? Yeah, I have him ranked in the same range for pretty much all of those same reasons. Uh, you know, the opportunity between Cooper and Gallup was – actually, Gallup had a higher percentage of the air yards and team targets uh, when mm-hmm. he played last year. So – the opportunity is closer than the ADP this year uh, suggests. And I'm really in on Michael Gallup, I think, as an underrated player who's just not getting enough credit for the dynamic season that he had last year. And then on the flip side, you know, whenever you see these lists of like the best route runners in the NFL, you know, the NFL or check down Twitter account tweets out these great, you know, 
clips of Amari Cooper dusting people on routes. That's great, but I think he's a very inconsistent route runner, just like he's a very inconsistent fantasy producer. In reception perception, he's never scored higher than the 71st percentile success rate versus man coverage. Uh, His marks in that metric have actually gone down throughout his career, and he finished below the 22nd percentile versus press in two of his last three seasons. I think there's actually, and the reason that he's still, I think, productive is that the Cowboys, credit to the Jason Garrett coaching staff, (laughs) have actually done a pretty good job of moving him around. Um, Not even just, like, they line him up in the slot a decent amount, but they also moved him Back in uh, his Raiders days, that last like Jack Del Rio head coaching year, they used him as an X receiver, and he just flopped in that in that spot because he's not great at getting off the line of scrimmage versus press. But sort of how the Rams use Robert Woods as that flanker that they move around the line of scrimmage pre-snap. That's how the Cowboys use Amari Cooper, and they get him a lot of favorable looks that way. So I mean, Cooper is a very very good receiver. I just don't think he's in. You know, he's a true number one top end receiver. And I don't think that any of these guys in that offense are going to be asked to be that because Gallup is a great X receiver. Cooper can be moved around this way. I think CeeDee Lane's a great prospect. The only guy I've really drafted so far at their current cost is uh, Michael Gallup because I think the, the opportunity between him and Cooper is closer than the ADP would suggest. And Gallup has taken a hit since they since they drafted C.D. Lamb. His ADP has taken a hit, uh, you know, wide receiver twenty down to wide receiver twenty eight or whatever. So he's actually affordable uh, versus what the hype was going to be if they had not drafted a receiver. And I look at this offense with Randall Cobb leaving. That's eighty three targets right there. That, that's fine for. Uh, C.D. Lamb, uh, I think he'd be happy to get 83 targets this year. And then you have Blake Jarwin, who's declined, his ADP's declined because of the, the C.D. Lamb uh, draft pick. And he's stepping into the Jason Witten role, role. So there's no reason that all four of these players can produce in this offense if they continue to throw the ball like they do with Dak Prescott. Uh, it just makes sense to me that, I mean, it doesn't make sense to me that these guys are taking ADP hits just because CeeDee Lamb's entering this offense. I mean, it'd be nice if he hadn't, you know, for Gallup yeah. and J- J- Big Jarwin, but uh, I don't see it as a big problem. Um, Will Fuller, uh, I'm gonna, I titled this section Cautionary Tales in the Bottom Ten. <laughs> um, <laughs> Will Fuller uh, is expected, and he has been pretty good when uh, he plays and Deshaun Watson plays 22 games with Deshaun Watson. Fuller has averaged 4.3 catches for 66 yards, 0.64 touchdowns, which really jumps off the page there. That's a 69 catch, 1,056 yard, 10.2 touchdown pace, assuming 16 games, um, which is a big assumption. Uh, the results yeah. are 12.6 fantasy points per game. Half PPR is basically what DJ Moore scored last year. So he's going three or four rounds later because he can't stay healthy. Uh, what, as far as route running, did you notice with, with Fuller? He's been fairly consistently towards the bottom third of your of your uh, charting. Yeah, and I think he's one that needs a lot of context, like from the overall number, because just of how much he's used on high degree of difficulty routes, on vertical okay. patterns in particular. Um, he does fall below the 42nd percentile this past year versus man, zone, and press. But again, I think you need to peel back a few layers there, like, we know he's, he's a vertical threat, and he has, shows up really well on the nine and the corner route. Again, those deep down the field patterns. But he also runs the curl route at a rate that's at the NFL average and has an awesome success rate, 82.9%, one of the best from last year. He also has a pretty high success rate on the flat route, too. Like, he can run those four routes, similar to what we had with Met, we talked about with Metcalf earlier. 
he runs those routes and he's going to produce a ton of production on those. He's also a great contested catch receiver. That's where I actually think he's taken a big step from where he was as a rookie receiver or as uh, a collegiate guy back when I was charting for reception perception college players. Um, I, I, I really want to take the injury discount on Fuller. And like, I know that it's just like, it's going to be Lucy with the football or whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to get, going to get punked here again, but I think that he has so much familiarity with uh, Deshaun Watson, which is an advantage to a guy like Brandon Cooks. Um, yep. I, I, I actually, despite the fact he's not like a, a high end, you know, overall reception perception guy, I always come away from logging his games, very impressed with him as a player and the development that he's taken. He is just uh, edged ahead of Michael Gallup uh, in ADP at FFPC 29 wide receiver, 29 for fuller wide receiver, 30, for Gallup, 31, Tyler Boyd, 32 for A.J. Green. I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, no, it's tough. I think if he gets past the wide receiver 30 range, you can start thinking about it. But uh, just pretty, it's pretty much going to be dependent on your room and dependent on where, like, which site you're drafting on, whether you're going to be able to take him. You know, at that point in the draft, he actually has – he's one of the only guys with wide receiver one upside. If he plays yeah, exactly. 14, 16 games, he could yep. actually do it. Would you – Speaking of Fuller, would you say Marvin Jones is sort of in that same category? Because he he's consistently yep. bottom third, same type of guy. Yeah, same type of guy. I think also um, has been used, you know, as an X receiver. I think Kenny Galladay kind of coming in and finally becoming the actual number one X there is actually probably pretty good for Marvin Jones because similar to, I mean, look, we're talking about Will Fuller here, and I think having DeAndre Hopkins across the field from him makes his life so much easier. And I think the same could probably be said for a guy like Marvin Jones. Now that Galladay is there, that that might actually be good news for him because just not, I mean, not, he's just not an elite separator, but he thrives deep and he thrives in contested situations. So he's going to put up numbers. You've been super generous with your time. I only have a few questions left and you can, you know, get through them as quickly as you want. But I wanted to ask about uh, the, the Dolphins receivers because neither one very particularly well. Preston Williams was dead last in my one number rankings. Devontae Parker is always near the bottom, I've noticed. <laughs> uh, but he broke out last year. Uh, I don't know, two, receiver two or three after, fantasy receiver two or three after Williams' injury. Um, do you buy it? Do you buy the breakout? Is it going to continue this year? Yeah, it's funny. When you were talking about guys like Geronimo Allison, um, some of these other guys that... Britt, yeah. Britt, yeah, who have had good productive years but were terrible in reception perception. The first, before even... Because uh, I didn't scroll all the way to the bottom of your outline, John. I'll admit that I thought about I thought about Preston Williams in my head as one of those potential guys. Uh, so yeah, you you put him down here as a, the the last in these one number rankings, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if if that was the case. He's not really a guy that I'm targeting. Um, and Devontae Parker, like you know, he finished below the 15th percentile in success rate versus man and press coverage in his first three NFL seasons, but. And, and yeah, it wasn't great this year, but he jumped all the way to the 30th percentile and 35th okay. percentile versus press. So that's a pretty decent jump. And when you look at his route tree, he wins deep on the nine route and he wins on the flat route, you know, some of those short routes there. So I think that's enough for him to be a productive player. The only pause I have with him um, is you look at, you look at Devonte Parker from the next gen stats perspective. I think they tweeted out a graph that he has the most, he had the most tight window receptions last year, you know, less than a yard of separation uh, in reception perception. His best route, as I mentioned, was the deep route, the nine route. And um, he broke, he broke out a lot because of his big plays in tight coverage, 87% contested catch rate. That was awesome. Saw a lot of contested targets. Like I mentioned, 
I wonder, you know, if if and when Ryan Fitzpatrick gives way to Tua, if he'll get those type of targets. Because, like, Fitzpatrick is just, <laughs> he's going to throw it into those situations with, like, a reckless abandon. And I wonder if any other quarterback would have been able to help Devontae Parker have that type of breakout season. Like, again, not a bad player. I think at this point he's he's definitely taken the step to legitimacy, but I do wonder if uh, the the quarterback change could might actually be bad news for his fantasy value if if Fitzpatrick does eventually get benched. All right, let's talk rookies. This is a, a big group of rookies. Ranking them is tough. Uh, there are just a number of guys that are going to have significant roles, but we have this weird off season, so we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, C.D. Lamb, possibly the wide receiver three for Dallas. Jalen Jalen Rieger, possibly the number one receiver at Philly. Um, although Deshaun Jackson, when healthy, is super dangerous, I think. Jerry Judy, probably the number two receiver for Denver. Brandon Ayuk, probably the number two receiver for, for San Francisco. Maybe number one to open the season with Debo Samuel, you know, banged up. Henry Ruggs, maybe the wide receiver one in Oakland. Justin Jefferson, probably the number two in uh, Minnesota. Michael Pittman, maybe the number two in Indy, uh, Denzel Mims, uh, Brian Edwards, T. Higgins, K.J. Hamler, Antonio Gandy-Golden, the list goes on and on, Chase Claypool, LaVisca Chenault. Are any of these guys particularly suited, given the offseason that we're having, of stepping in week one, you know, week, you know, within September, let's say, uh, and starting to produce for your fantasy team? I, mean, I have a feeling that, you know, the, the first season is going to be pretty ugly for a large number of these guys because they're trying to get used to the, no no preseason snaps. Um, you know, week one will be their first time suiting up for their team. What what do you make of this group? Is there somebody here that we can take uh, in those later rounds and have them produce immediately? I think it's tough. I've generally been fading uh, rookies this year altogether. Um, the one guy I do get pretty tempted by – actually, two guys, and they're both in the AFC South. Uh, LaVisca Chenault is definitely tempting because I think he could – produce some layup targets for Gardner Minshew. I think he could like what they've been trying to do with DD Westbrook as a speed slot receiver. I think LaVisca Chenault, just to put it, uh, kindly uh, or unkindly could be the actually good version of that. <laughs> and then Michael Pittman, I think reminds me a lot of Allen Robinson for as a guy who, you know, early in Robinson's career, we saw him just be a downfield threat winning contested situations, but then he evolved into sort of that full field route runner last year with the Chicago bears. I think Pittman is going to be a similar player. Um, and Rivers, like I said, doesn't have much downfield arm strength left, in my opinion. But there's so much room in that Indianapolis Colts offense for someone to step up. And I like him a lot more than the other guys on the depth chart. So those are the only two rookies, like super, super late best ball formats where I've been willing to take the plunge. I was really hoping you were going to say Jerry Judy because I just took him in the APX league that we're both in. And this, this league went way wide receiver heavy. I was way more expecting. I was not expecting it way more than I expected. So I've been taking receivers after receiver after receiver. And I got yeah. him, I got him wide receiver 59, which I actually thought was a pretty good. That's a good, that's a good part. That that's point. a good value there. I, it's not that I'm out on Judy because I think he, he does have a pretty good path to volume. I just I have a lot of questions about the Denver offense, just kind of in general. And then the price, because you you were talking Pittman and Chenault. Those guys are available extremely late compared to you know trying to get Judy, and I'm getting him in the 11th round. I mean, there's other players available at that point that you're probably leaning towards. So yeah, I'm sense. trying to I'm trying to take Pittman in this Apex League. So don't don't take him before I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've taken. Let's see here six receivers out of my last last seven picks because I was so far behind uh, at the receiver position. I got Diggs as my number one in the fifth round. So as the 30th receiver off the board, if that tells you how wide receiver happy this league is. 
Uh, I just joined this year and I had no idea it was like this, but Oh um, yeah, it's uh, this is your first year in it? Yep, yeah, 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 it's 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 a rude awakening. I mean, even this year like you'd th- people are much more hungry for running backs than normal. You'd think like, "Ah, yeah, this, we'll we'll be able to get Nope, nope. Yes, it is uh it is a wild time. <laughs> yeah, I ended up with Diggs, Edelman, Crowder, Sanders, John Brown and Jerry Judy so far with my six receivers. So, I'll, I'll figure it out. Like I've got Edwards, Hilaire, and Eckler and Mahomes and Andrews, so uh, my first four picks, so I'll, I'll be okay, I think. Not um, bad, yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, so, last question. Um, there's some sleepers that I like that you didn't chart because uh, you you chart the top 50 or so uh, receivers. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Alan Lazard, Stephen Sims, Brashad Perryman, uh, and Miles Boykin, who you did mention in last, year, last year's pod as a potential uh, guy who's going to beat his ADP? He didn't play a whole lot, um, but you know, just a phenomenal athlete and, you know, this is an ascending offense. So any, any thoughts on those guys, Lazard, Sims, Perriman or, or Boykin? Yeah, I'd, I'll hold off on talking about Lazard and Perriman because they're two guys I actually do want to chart here, like in August at some point, okay. since we have no preseason, I'll have the extra time uh, maybe. And uh, Steven Sims, I'm interested in just because there's volume there and he was productive last year, but Boykin, I think if anybody's going to be the DJ Chark of this year, like go from a totally nothing rookie season to a thousand yards this year, or not probably not a thousand yards, but at least a positive uh, second season, I think it could mm-hmm. be Boykin. who's like you mentioned, a player I'm really high on. And I think he has the inside track to be the number two receiver there across from Marquise Brown. Yeah, I've been trying to scoop Boykin up, and that and he's available like last round of these FFPC best balls, and it just seems like a with with Jackson there and the openings there at at wide receiver two, um, that oh, there's yeah. playing time. There's playing time available for him. He didn't play a whole lot as a as a rookie, but we'll see. Uh, certainly, as the physical tools. Um, I just thought that was funny last year that you talked about Boykin, and um, I'm still trying to scoop him up in the last round this year. So. It's, that's the way it works sometimes. We wait on these guys, and we wait on them, and we stick with them, right? Exactly, yep. No, I mean, I think the Lockett example is the is is the perfect example, which, like, reception perception always showed that the talent was there, and it was just going to be a slow – like, because of injuries, because of, like, the offense that he played in, it was going to be a slow burn. But if the volume ever caught up to the talent, it's going to happen, and that's kind of the way I'm – for guys like Sterling Shepard, for guys like Anthony Miller, for guys like Curtis Samuel, these holdout, these players that have been great in reception perception for a couple of years now that it just hasn't popped for whatever reason, I'm in on those guys this year because I think the same thing could happen. Yeah, it's not because they're not talented. Something exactly. else has happened that yeah. we have to worry about. Again, you've been super generous with your time, Matt. Thanks so much for coming on. You can find uh, Matt on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Uh, reception perception all that data and write-ups are over at the fantasy footballers so uh, thanks again for coming on hey my pleasure man always look forward to this podcast uh we'll try to do it every every august i, I know the listeners love it and uh, again thanks for the time and uh, we'll see you next time on uh, for four is the most accurate podcast